Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with Pastor Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the Senior Pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona, welcoming a guest speaker for this message. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 E7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation online, visit us at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now, with today's message, here's a word from our guest. You know, I was thinking about what to do today for Father's Day. And, you know, I have, I have uh, over the last, um, you know, 30-plus years, I have taught on Father's Day 30-plus well, times. And uh, just uh, teaching on it and seeing God. I've had guest speakers and different things. But, you know, I want to do something different this year. I want to... I've been trying to do this for a couple years, but actually for two or three years, but uh, this year it worked out to where we're going to hear about fathers from a woman's perspective. So why don't you all welcome Pastor Beverly as she comes to share God's word this morning. Oh, am I on? I am. That, that worked well. <laughs> well, when Pastor Tim asked me to do this, my immediate reaction was, oh, I'd be so honored. And then about two hours later, I thought, what in the world have I done? <laughs> if you were all a bunch of ladies, I would be just fine because I talk at our women's conferences and that's just a fun thing to do. But it's a little more intimidating when we have all these wonderful dads here. So happy Father's Day to each of you. You are each remarkable in ways too numerous to mention. But I want to talk to you today about what your kids see and what they may think about you. That's kind of scary, isn't it? (laughs) It's probably not what you think. We all know that dads are supposed to speak biblical truths into the lives of their kids. They're supposed to lecture them and have them recite memory verses and, and do all those godly spiritual things. And there are men that do that, and we applaud them. They're all good things. Let's take a look, though, and see how one family does fathers. What was Grandpa like whenever you were my age? I don't know. He's like a dad. Did Grandpa make you listen to this terrible music? You mean, did he culture me? You bet he did. <laughs> did Grandpa get lost too? Sometimes. We're not lost. Recalculating route to your destination. You will arrive in approximately two days, three hours. What's your license insurance? Did uh, Grandpa have a lead foot too? <laughs> Amen. 
Grandpa teach you to pray for every meal like that? Yeah. For every meal. Did Grandpa do that too? Yeah. Lollygagging. I'm not paying you guys to sit around and look at pictures. Chop, chop. My stuff's not going to get to a condo on the golf course by itself. Has Grandpa always been so bossy? Always. Is he actually banning us? Not a chance. <laughs> you really are a lot like him, aren't you? Yes, there are those spiritual dads out there who do all those spiritual wonderful things, and then there's the real guys. <laughs> and it's you regular guys that I want to talk to today, the not-quite-so-spiritual dads, the ones who wonder, do I have any real influence over my kids? Maybe you feel like they never really listen to you. You know who you are. Well, you try to be spiritual, and you try to teach biblical principles, but most of the time you feel like nothing you say really matters or hits home. There are all those other dads who are so much more wise and educated and, well, you know. I want to speak to those men today, and really, that's probably all of you. For you probably all think way less of yourself than you should. And as you will shortly see, you really are quite special and vitally important to your children. Well, first off, I want to introduce you to a really special guy. My dad. That's my dad. His name was John D. Longo. He was a first-generation American from Sicilian Italian parents. And he grew up during the Depression with eight brothers and sisters. His dad was a barber. And we all wondered how my grandfather made his money, for he lived in a big house and he did various things. But, well, it certainly wasn't by being a barber. <laughs> and remember, this was an Italian-Sicilian family, so we always used to ask my dad, and he would say, don't ask. So we didn't ask. Well, my dad didn't graduate high school. He didn't go to college. He never made a lot of money or held a high position. In fact, after retirement, my dad took a job as a bagger 
at the local grocery store in Virginia where he lived. But my dad was not just a bagger. My dad was the very best bagger that that store ever had. In fact, people would request for my dad to bag their groceries. Do you know why? Because my dad invested in them. He talked to them. He knew them. He knew their kids. He knew their problems. He told them jokes. He really cared about those people that were in his grocery line. And he was named Employee of the Year, year after year. This was a man who had had an office job all of his life. And here he was working as a bagger part-time just for spare money. And yet he excelled at what he did. Well, back to my story. During World War II, my dad was a cook in the Army and later our cook at home, which was wonderful. And he met my mom, Marion Benson, during the war when his ship took a wrong turn and ended up in Newfoundland. Does anybody know where Newfoundland is? That's a little island off the coast of Canada, but back then it was a British province. Well, I don't think it was really a wrong turn. I think that was God directing my dad because otherwise I wouldn't be here talking to you today. So it wasn't a wrong turn. It was exactly what God had planned for my dad's life. Well, my dad and mom met, fell in love, and they dated for the two years that his ship was stuck there, and then the war was over. Well, against my grandparents' wishes, who were British people, they didn't know my dad, but they thought that being Italian or Sicilian was certainly something bad, my mom decided to marry my dad. And she followed him, and they went to New York and got married and then went to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. And suddenly my mom found herself in this foreign country. My British mom, who drank tea and was quiet, was suddenly in this loud, Italian-speaking, pasta-eating family, and she was terrified. She was overwhelmed, but my dad took care of her, and he protected her, and he made sure that he was loving and patient and kind with her, and he always made sure she was provided for, even after his death. My mom never had to pay a bill. She never had to worry about anything. She didn't even drive a car. My dad took care of it all. It was a different era, of course. Well, after the war, my dad went to work for the Connemaw and Blacklick Railroad. He was a crew clerk or a crew supervisor. He set up the men to go work and arrange for their shifts. My sister was born about four years later, and then four years after that, I came along. Well, my sister looked Italian like my dad. But she had my mom's disposition. She was quiet and shy and just wanted to sit and read books. I, on the other hand, looked like my mom, but I acted like my dad. (laughs) I had the Sicilian temper, and I had that streak of independence. So that made for a very interesting childhood. But it was the 50s, that time when everybody looks back on with nostalgia and wonder about how wonderful things were in the 50s. Well, only those of us that are over 50, Loria. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyone younger than that, you have no idea except what you see on TV. (laughs) Back then, parents were strict. Children obeyed. They were seen and not heard. There were no children's rights. There was no everybody needs to feel good about themselves. You just didn't vary from the norm, whatever the norm was. Well, my dad wasn't a typical strict father. He never had to really discipline us. He expected us to behave, and we did. (laughs) But he listened, and he talked. He wasn't father knows best. He was just an average guy doing an average job, working hard for his family. But my dad had integrity. He understood hard work and honesty. And I think it was because he grew up during the Depression. I remember him telling me how um, one of the things his mom used to fix for them during uh, the Depression was coffee soup. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that. But his mom would take a bowl and put a piece of homemade bread with butter. And then she would take coffee mixed with milk and sugar and pour that over the bread. That was breakfast. And how they used to line their shoes with cardboard several layers when they'd get holes in their shoes so that they would last longer. I think it was those kinds of things that made my dad appreciate his life later on. And my dad loved food. And he introduced me to so many good things growing up that even today my family hears me say it all the time. That's what my dad gave me. That's what my dad taught me to like. Things like tomato soup. You don't mix tomato soup with milk. You mix it with water, but then you take a big pat of butter and you put it in the center of the hot soup with salt and pepper, and you make a grilled cheese sandwich on the side. V8 juice, when it first came out, I got to learn to love that. Chipped ham. Does anybody here know what chipped ham is? Oh, we have some real people. Jack, Klaus, and Patty are from back east. They know what chip tam is. You know that loaf of stuff that you see in the deli? Well, they chip it instead of slicing it, and it comes out all feathery and light, and it's delicious. And so my dad's version of coffee soup would be to make toast and put chipped ham and cheese, and you fold it over. And, yes, he gave me coffee when I was a child. Maybe that's why I'm short. He would have me dip the sandwich in the coffee that was loaded with cream and sugar. And it was delicious, and it still is today. And probably the best thing my dad ever made were cutlets. My family loves cutlets. Cutlets are little pieces of round steak. You you tenderize the round steak, and then you cut it in little pieces, and you dip it in egg and milk and put it in Italian breadcrumbs and then fry it up until it gets crispy, and it melts in your mouth. Even to this day, my kids love those cutlets. Sometimes when my dad had to work the late shift, he would come home in the morning with a little white bag because he would have stopped at my favorite bakery, Elite's Bakery. And inside could be any number of things. Sometimes it would be warm, raisin-filled cookies right out of the oven. Or it would be sticky buns that were still warm out of the oven because he'd be there in the morning if he worked the night shift. He'd be there right when they were baking the baked goods. 
or sometimes it would be chocolate eclairs. My dad knew how to make anything special. He was fun, and those little things were what made each day unique. It's something that even today I try to do, is to look at the things of everyday life and be so thankful for those, whether it's a sunset or cutlets for dinner or time with my family or just hanging out. You take those little moments and they become the memories that weave your life together into something wonderful. And my dad was funny, although he would never say that he was. He was one of the best storytellers I ever met. And his eyes, you can kind of tell in that picture, his eyes would twinkle and crinkle up in the corners when he was telling a good joke. Let's take a look at how some other dads tell jokes. Why do the chicken coops only have two doors? Because if they had four, it would be chicken sedans. <laughs> oh my gosh. What do you call a laughing motorcycle? A Yamaha. <laughs> a Yamaha. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the greatest babysitter mentioned in the Bible? David. He rocked Goliath to sleep. At what time of day was Adam created? A little before Eve. <laughs> Get out of here. What do you call a cow with no legs? Ground beef. <laughs> All right, what do you call a fish with two knees? A two-knee fish. Two knee. <laughs> I know, it took me a little long. I, late. A cop just knocked on my door and told me that my dogs were chasing people on bikes. My dogs don't even own bikes. <laughs> Did you know the first French fries weren't actually cooked in France? They were cooked in Greece. That one. I tried to eat a clock the other day. It was really time-consuming. <laughs> <Mwah, mwah. laughs> Who was the smallest person in the Bible? Ne <laughs> Nehemiah. <laughs> Need an ark? I know a guy. <laughs> How does Moses start his morning? 
somebody. Hebrews, a pot of coffee. <laughs> She's nice. Can February, March? No, but April, May. <laughs> Who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the house down. <laughs> yeah. Those are awful. <laughs> Awfully good. Just like what I grew up with. <laughs> dad jokes are corny, but not my dad's. He told really good jokes and stories. I remember we were going through his things after he died, and in his wallet, I found this little tiny piece of paper, and I opened it up, and it was pretty good size once I opened it up, and on it were written these lines of words, and I started reading them, and it didn't make sense. It wasn't anything that was cohesive in any way. And then as I'm reading down through these lines, I recognized one. And I'm like, that sounds familiar. I know what that is. And I read them through again, and I figured out what they were. All of those words were the lines and punchlines to my dad's favorite jokes. (laughs) He was getting older, and he didn't want to forget them. So he wrote them down and put them in his wallet so he could refer to them. You can learn a lot from stories from your dad. That's how my dad taught me many things. He was a really avid reader, and he liked word puzzles and um, crossword puzzles. He did them every day. And my dad finally got his GED when he was 72. He would never say that he was a success or a scholar, but my dad was such a good reader and teacher that if times had been different and he hadn't had to go into the army, he might have become a school teacher. He had a brother who was a doctor and a brother who was a psychologist. My dad would have been a wonderful teacher, but instead, my sister and I got to benefit from that. But my dad always also taught through example. So many times he didn't need to say anything. The lesson was just learned. And I think that's so much like Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate storyteller. He painted pictures with words that carried really deep messages. Many of Jesus' stories and lessons would begin with a description such as, it was like, it was like a pearl of great worth. It was like treasure hidden in a field. It was like ten virgins who had their lamps to be filled. My dad taught with examples of everyday life, and so did Jesus. Examples that people could relate to, identify with, and understand. Jesus taught what they would know. When he was asked, what is the kingdom of heaven like? He said, it's like a mustard seed that you plant in the garden, and when it grows up, Even though it's the smallest of all seeds, it becomes the greatest of all trees with large branches so that the birds can make their nest in it. In Proverbs 14.26, it says, The man who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and and for his children 
it will be a refuge. A refuge is a place of security and safety and protection. That tree that grew from the tiny seed of the mustard plant became a refuge for his children. That's what dads are like. They plant small seeds into their kids. But with care, that seed will bear a huge tree, which generations to come will nest in it and find their refuge. Well, our hometown, Johnstown, was about the size of Flagstaff. And we had all kinds of nationalities. We had African-American. We had Italian immigrants and Polish. We had Amish people and Quaker people. It was quite a melting pot back then. Lots of people from different ways of life and cultures. And many of them were my dad's good friends. But never once growing up did I ever hear my dad refer to somebody by their color or by their heritage or by how much money they made, or how successful they were, my dad would tell you how he knew them, who their relatives were, how they came to be friends, or a funny story about their relationship. He invested in their lives, and that's what he remembered, and that's what he taught me. He taught me to never be prejudiced. I remember when the race riots of the 60s happened, and you could, back then, watch that on TV, one of the first awful things we could see on TV, the Vietnam War, the race riots. And I remember being in the car. I remember the street we were on. We had, my dad and I were in the car, and we had come from watching the news, and we had been watching these race riots where looting was going on and people were being beaten, and it was horrendous. And I asked my dad, why are these people being like this to each other? Because we didn't have that in the town I grew up in. Everybody was friendly. I went to school with kids from every nationality, and everybody got along fine. And my dad looked at me, and he said, they just can't learn how to get along with each other, I guess. And it saddened him. I remember hearing his voice. And saddened me too. Because my dad was never prejudiced. He maybe was outspoken at times. And he was certainly passionate about issues. But he never taught us to be prejudiced. He didn't lecture us about it. It was just the way he lived his life. Well, life lessons from my dad were everyday occurrences growing up. How you treat people. How you're friendly. How you're helpful. Giving generosity. And his quiet and contentment with his life, which was not an exciting life, was something I really fondly remember. You know, my dad could go anywhere, and I mean anywhere. We went to Niagara Falls. We went to Ocean City, Maryland. He came out to Arizona. It didn't matter growing up or as an adult. My dad could go anywhere, and he would meet somebody he knew or that he was related to. I never knew we had so many relatives. And he would stand and talk, and we'd be waiting in the car, and my dad would be talking and talking and talking. And then finally he'd come in, and he'd be so excited to get back in the car, and he'd say, do you know that fellow was related to my Uncle Angelo who lived back in Sicily, and he moved here, and then he married this woman, and she had three kids, and he would tell the story. And he had spent all that time investing in someone 
that he met at a gas station pump or in a grocery store. That was my dad. He never met anybody he didn't know. He just got to know them better. So anytime my dad would say, who wants to go to the hardware store? Who wants to go to the gas station with me? I was the one that said, I'll go. I loved going with my dad. Now, my sister, she just wanted to stay home and read. And then when she got older, she wanted to stay home and do her hair and do her makeup. But I loved going with my dad. I used to watch how he was with people, how he'd laugh and tell stories, and they would, they would greet each other, and it was always friendly. But I also listened to what he didn't say. It was how he treated them. I think that's what Jesus' disciples were like. You know, they were with him when he taught the big lessons on the mountains and in the villages and in the towns and on the steps of the synagogue. But what about the rest of the time? They were just together. They talked together. They walked together. Sometimes they just were together. And I think that the disciples watched to see how Jesus acted. And they learned from his behavior how to be like him. For Jesus was the earthly example of our Heavenly Father. And we watch our dads, and we learn from them. All through God's words, word are examples of fathers and how they interacted with their kids. Let's take a look at Abraham. Abraham in the Old Testament, he had wanted children, he and his wife Sarah, and they were old, really old, older than me. And they never had any. Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 when God said, you will have a son and you will name him Isaac. Well, that was pretty wonderful. But then God is amazing. And they did. They had a child and they named him Isaac. And when Isaac was growing up, he was probably, I don't know, 10, 12. I don't know the exact age. But God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So early in the morning, Abraham got up, took his donkey, took two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham said to his servants, the boy and I are going to go up and we will worship and then we will come back to you. He said, we will come back to you. Stay here with the donkey. Now, Abraham thought that he was to sacrifice his son, but he also trusted his heavenly father to make a way where there appeared none to be. Now, we know the rest of the story. Abraham did not sacrifice Isaac. God had provided a different sacrifice. But what I want you to see about this passage isn't what Abraham did or what he said. It's what he didn't say. He offered no explanation along the way, and it was a three-day journey about what they were going to do. And it appears that Isaac trusted his dad implicitly And he didn't ask any questions all that way. 
They simply walked together to the place of sacrifice. Isaac watched his dad gather up the wood. Isaac followed him up the mountain. Isaac helped him prepare the altar. But not much was really said between them. Just obedience, exampled for Isaac to learn from. Not just obedience, but patience and trust and faith. And when Isaac finally asked, where's the sacrifice? His father said, God will provide. And of course he did with the ram who had been coming up the other side of the mountain all along unbeknownst to them. I know that Abraham trusted his father in heaven in this test of faith. And Isaac, in turn, trusted his heavenly father when it all looked so impossible. Sometimes there just isn't much to say in words. But the actions tell a whole story about what's really going on. In the Old Testament, it tells us that the fathers were to teach their kids when they sit down, when they rise up, when they're walking down the lane. They talk to them. They show them. They example for them. They tell them about what God is and what he's about and what God expects of them. Now, it's said that children may not always do what you say, but they will always do what you do. And there's truth in that. A child's desire is to emulate his father, to please him and make him proud of who he is because this child totally trusts in his dad. I remember when I was really little, like probably three or four, and my dad would stand me up on the kitchen counter and he'd take a step back and he'd say, jump, I'll get you. And I'd stand up there and I'd be terrified and I'd be like, I want to do it. I want to do it. I don't want to do it. (laughs) And finally, I would. And I would just jump and leap into my dad's arms, and he would catch me. I think that's what our Heavenly Father wants us to be like. He wants us to just trust him so much that we will leap into his arms without even thinking and trust his word and trust his direction and trust his guidance for our lives. In the New Testament... We know that Jesus' dad, Joseph, stepdad, was a carpenter. And of course, we don't know what conversations went on between them. But I'll bet that Jesus watched his dad a lot. He watched his dad choose the best pieces of wood for whatever project he was going to work on. He would look for the right grain and the strength of that wood. He would learn which woods were best for which projects. He would watch his dad sand the wood, planing away bad places, making it smooth by sanding, and fitting it together into whatever it was supposed to be, whatever the project was. And he also watched his dad handle the problems he encountered when he had poor quality wood, or mistakes that he made when he was making something, or the injuries that he caused to himself because he didn't do things quite right. They were also the lessons that Jesus learned. Not many words would have needed to be used, and dads are often very silent. But these lessons were taught by quiet observation, by imitation, and by practice, 
years and years of practice. And as his dad, Joseph, became skillful with wood in his craft as a carpenter, Jesus became skillful as well. But not just with wood. Jesus became skillful in diligence and faithfulness and that quiet assurance that comes from learning your craft well. When you develop your skills well, you never need to brag about them. They just kind of stand on their own. The quality of your work speaks for you. And children who desire to see their dad work and be like them, they're watching. Do you ever hear dads come home from work and they say, well, I did the best job I ever did today. I excelled in that company far beyond anybody else. I'm the best worker they have. No. The most you get is when you say, hi, dad, how was your day? Oh, it was fine. Dads don't brag. They seldom toot their own horn, and they probably think nobody would listen anyway. (laughs) So to finish the story about my dad, my dad was not a go-to-church kind of guy. It wasn't that he was opposed to church or to God or Jesus, but he worked on Sundays. However, he lived love your neighbor as yourself. And he had kindness and generosity as his reputation. I can still hear him say, if you can't say something nice about somebody, don't say anything at all. And that was way before Thumper learned it in Bambi. (laughs) (laughs) The simple and few words of a dad carry a lot of weight to a child, and they remember those things. Well, in 1999, my dad had a massive heart attack. And I flew back to Virginia to be with him as soon as I heard. I was in his afternoon, in his room that afternoon before he died, and I remember speaking to him and I said, Daddy, do you know that Jesus loves you and he died for you? And my dad didn't say anything because he had he was too exhausted. His heart was so damaged, all he could do was simply nod. I knew that when my dad died later that day, that he went to heaven because he gave that simple nod of acknowledgement. He lived his life as an example to his wife and his daughters. He wasn't perfect, but he was so Christ-like in so many ways. Now, there are wonderful Christian men throughout our congregation, and I could go on for a long time up here talking about each of you and how they exhibit their lives and their faith before others, most times without bragging or doing anything big, just doing it. People like Bill Weaver, Dan Ute, Frank Thomas, Carlos de Herrera, Chuck Erler, Pastor Tim, but there's one more. And that would be my husband, Ray. (laughs) He's one of the most godly men I've ever met. And certainly one of the best fathers. He has sacrificially loved his children, all of them, And we have six, his three, my three, ten grandchildren, and one great-grandchild. 
And there isn't a child in this church who doesn't run up to Papa Ray to give him a hug or say hi to him when he sees him. And every baby that he ever meets goes straight to him. He is the baby magnet. I get dogs and cats. He gets babies. (laughs) Go figure. Well, I've learned so much from Ray over the 23 years of our marriage on what it means to live as Christ teaches even when it would be easier not to. Decisions that he made about his life and how he chooses to live it. Ray makes a point to visit with everyone and find out about them. I would much rather be sitting in the car. But that's him. That's who he is. Years and years ago, it was prophesied over Ray that he would be a father to many. And I have seen that happen over and over and over again. And I could pick out people that he has spoken into the lives of here as a father. But as a dad and a husband, he doesn't go around preaching what he knows. He just lifts it. He examples it. And his children that he raised, his two daughters and his son, are wonderful examples of diligent, honest, kind, caring people. Was Ray perfect as a dad? No. My dad wasn't either. They got annoyed. They shouted. They got frustrated. And they made mistakes because they were human. The only perfect dad is our Father in Heaven. But men like Ray and my dad live out each day being examples and their quiet way has an impact on the world around them and on those in their world. So you men out there who think you haven't done a good job as a dad, you are completely mistaken. You are the men who are teaching tomorrow's mothers and fathers. You are constantly teaching your children even when you don't say much. Most of the time, you're teaching good lessons. And there's forgiveness for the times when you make those mistakes. Your children are watching. They're listening. And they're learning. And mostly, they're learning what you don't say. They won't remember everything that you do say, but they will remember everything you do. As you can see, I remember so much of what my dad did in my life. And what an influence it made. Things like, are you being appreciative of their mother? Are you hardworking? Are you a good listener? Are you supportive when they fail? Do you understand their mistakes? Are you straight with them when you need to be? These are the things that they'll remember about you. The words you speak have an impact for sure. But the life before them that you live is what will make a difference because it's the real truth of who you are. So this Father's Day, I want to thank each of you dads for being the men you were created to be in God's image. You would lay your very life down for the life of your family and your children. You seldom complain. And no one ever knows the sacrifices disappointments and hurts that you experience but very seldom ever talk about. Please know it does not go unnoticed. God is watching.
He understands the hard job you have. He had to watch his own son die so that we could each be saved and have eternal life. Your children will always remember what you do. And whether they tell you now or whether they wait until they're 68 years old and tell you, they are grateful for the dads you are. God bless you, dads. Yours is a difficult and often thankless job, and you are each amazing men of God. Always one of my favorite poems was a picture I saw when I first got saved many, many years ago. I walked into a Christian bookstore to to get a Bible and do different things. And I saw this picture. It was a picture of Jesus in the clouds. And there was a the dove in the form of a Holy Spirit coming to light on him. And the image Jesus had in the clouds was an image of him on the cross. And it said, I asked Jesus how much he loved me as he stretched out his arms to die. Guys, every time we stretch out our arms to our kids, we're telling them, this is how much you're worth. This is who you are to me. This is what you are to me. Reach out. Today, Father's Day, 
Take your kids. Spend time with them. Kids, take your dads. Spend time with them. And just let them know how much they mean to you. I want to inject just for a moment those of us who feel, as Beverly just outlined, that we didn't do a great job. It's not too late. It's not too late. Oh, you can't really make up for it. And I never encourage people to try to make up for what wasn't or what didn't. When I say it's not too late, all I simply say, start today. Now, they're going to say something. Well, Dad, why weren't you this then? Why weren't you that? All you can do is respond to them. I didn't know then what I know now. And you know what that'll do? Open their arms for a question. What do you know now, Dad? I know Jesus. Amen. I know Jesus. And you will change their lives. And like Beverly, with her dad's last moments on this earth, knowing that he was going home, no greater joy. No greater joy. From the guest of Pastor Tim Masters and Victorious Life Christian Center with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding from Pastor Tim Masters and the Congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center. You're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.